From the Not A Foodie Studios in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, it's the Not A Foodie Show. Hey, Mike. Hey. <laughs> I am Tom Miali, and with me as always is Mike Moranti, my co-host. And today we're joined by a special guest for the entire show. <laughs> Tia Keenan. Hey, Tia. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Excited to be here. We're excited to have we're you. We're excited to have you. Um, so the Not A Foodie Show, for those of you who haven't listened, is a food and culture radio show on Radio Rampa 620 AM. You can find us, um, at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter, at Not A Foodie Show on Instagram. Um, today, we're going to talk about cheese. We're going to talk all about cheese. For an hour. For like an hour. So this is the cheese show. It's not enough time. No, it is not (laughs) enough time. Coming from someone who's dedicated her life to cheese. (laughs) Um, So, Tia, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself to everybody and say who you are, and that's it. (laughs) Um, Well, first, thank you for having me here. I'm always happy to talk about cheese. Um, So I'm an author and writer and uh, former chef fromager. Um, I did such a bad job of setting you up because you are like you are one of my favorite people to like uh, follow on Twitter and everything like that. And so here, let me let me start over. This is she is a former cook, chef, chef, restaurateur, consultant, um, author, awesome person, published um, mother (laughs) and just a great person. So there we go. There's my there's my setup. And you could take it from there. <laughs> um, yeah. So I always worked in New York City restaurants. I sort of found my niche in cheese as a restaurant-based fromager. And then I did the um, – so I did about a decade slinging cheese. What and, was your first uh, fromager gig? Um, well, I sort of transitioned to it. It was kind of one of those things let's, – let's go back to like 2001. Okay. I'm working at Tribeca Grill – Mm-hmm. which was like a very hot restaurant oh, yeah. at that time, you know, po- immediate post 9-11, Bobby De Niro's place, everyone was yeah. in and out. Um, we were crushing it, and we had a cheese cart, and all this, I was a server, and all the servers were expected to know the cheeses, and of course, m- none of them did. But um, because I had left publishing to realize my dream of being a waiter, <laughs> I took my job very seriously, and I was happy. Ended up being the only server who actually knew all the cheeses on the cart. So whenever someone at Tribeca Grill would order a cheese plate, the waiter would call me over and say, oh, can you go to table 35 and talk to them about the cart? You know, I don't know what I'm talking about. So then after I left that job and went to the next job, and, you know, the the chef or the pastry chef, at those, in those years, the pastry chef was the one who would handle the cheese plate. And they would say, does anyone here know about cheese? And I kind of raised my hand and, and say, you know, I know a little bit about. And with each restaurant, I knew a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I was working at a wonderful jewel box restaurant um, called Fleur de Sel. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I, it was yeah. a wonderful little Michelin-starred that. restaurant in the Flatiron working for Chef Cyril Renault. And we didn't have cheese on the menu, but we had an investor, this French guy, and he would come in every Sunday night for dinner with his second family. 
And um, <laughs> he never wanted dessert. He always wanted cheese. So we would have to order cheese special for him. And Chef was like, eh, Tia, such a pain in the butt. Go, order it for me. Order it for me. So I started ordering cheese from Murray's Cheese from a woman named Liz Thorpe who revolutionized that company and brought it to all over the country. But at yeah. that time was like, you know, I'm the retail department, I'm the wholesale department, I'm the, you know, <laughs> education department. So I would order, and that's how I met her, and I would order cheese. And then I would say my first, like, really official fromager gig was um, I opened up the Modern at the Museum of Modern Art with Danny Meyer. At that time, we all wondered, you know, Danny only had Gramercy and Union Square and one Shake Shack. <laughs> and we wondered, would Danny, would Danny make it uptown? Yeah, you know, right. That was the big, that was the I chatter in the restaurant where I was like, oh, Danny's going above 14th Street. Like, is it, is it going to be successful? Yeah. Can Danny Meyer handle that? Well, at the time, my girlfriend lived on, well, who is now my wife, lived on 28th and Madison, right by like go. that Shake Shack. And I yeah. remember that buzz. I remember yeah. like Danny Meyer going yeah, uptown. Yeah, no one knew That's if Danny had deal. the hoods, but uh, to handle uptown New York. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So I opened the Modern at the Museum of Modern Art, and I was a chef fromager there and ran a very um, big cheese program that was really wonderful. And I was so lucky to work with Chef Gabriel Kreuter, who gave me really, like, free reign. Have you had the cheese plate at uh, the Modern? At the Modern? Yeah. I mean, not recently. Does my legacy still? I I had it. I had I ate at the Modern a couple of years ago for an anniversary dinner. Uh-huh. It was wonderful. They it comped it because we spent a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and they, I let them know I was industry. And, yeah. Uh, you let them was, know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I, I I was probably there last year in the dining room, and it was really neat to see the program still going strong. And, um, yeah, so then I, I decided that I was going to open the city's first, like, casual cheese bar and that was a restaurant called Casalula. And so I left my fancy job at the Modern, which everyone told me was a huge mistake. And I opened this place on 52nd between 9th and 10th. People also said, oh, no one is ever going to go west of yeah. 9th. <laughs> right, right. Right? Like, you're going to open a restaurant west of 9th Avenue? Like, when I moved into an apartment on Houston and Avenue A, people right. were like, don't go past Avenue B. No <laughs> right. one's ever going to go past right. Avenue B. But that's the story of this city where it's just ever yeah. gentrifying and So expanding. then I, you know, I Casalula, and then I ended up leaving there, and I worked on so many different projects, including rolling out the cheese bar concept for Murray's Cheese called Murray's Cheese Bar, which they now have all over the country. Yeah. So that was my restaurant life. But then I made the tragic mistake of having a baby. And everyone knows what a crisis <laughs> that is. I've been there. For a female I chef. I have not been there personally, <laughs> but my wife had a baby. Yeah. I had two so of them. Yes. I also am married to someone in the restaurant business. So what, it's literally like the moment after I had the baby, I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Like, we can't go, we can't both work 16 hours a day. Like, who's going to take care of the baby? And then I got a, a book deal, like, pretty quickly from that and wrote my first book, which is called The Art of the Cheese Plate, and then subsequently wrote three books in three years all about cheese. I wrote Art of the Cheese Plate, um, a short stack, which is a small book, um, all about Chev, and then I wrote um, the follow-up for Art of the Cheese Plate called Melt, Stretch, and Sizzle, The Art of Cooking Cheese. And now um, I'm kind of doing a little bit of everything. I just signed on to become the ambassador for Goat Cheeses of France, which is actually a job I've had before. So I'm a two-time ambassador. <laughs> and um, is it Did that come from your short stack 
uh, from the no, I mean, I like I said, I had worked with them. I had been an ambassador for them probably in like 2010 ish. Okay. Um, and so they came back, and I'm actually trying to write a non cookbook book about um, cheese. No, not about food at all. Oh, yeah, but fiction I, or non. Or... It's um kind of a memoir, ah. but the truth is, is that I know how to write a cookbook, or at least I pretend that I know how to write a cookbook, but I really don't know how to write a memoir. And so that's been really um, it's, quite a journey. Yeah, it's just different styles. Different, it's got to be challenging. I just don't even, you know, I, I write, I've written a lot of magazine newspaper articles, and I've written the cookbooks, and that to me is very like sort of almost technical writing. Like you have your template, you're popping, you're popping your pieces in, um, you know... Okay, I need 50 recipe intros. I need 50 recipes. I need, you know, the introduction. I need the chapter introductions. It's it's very template, um, right. but a memoir doesn't have a template. Um so it's it's challenging to try to write something without those constraints or without that yeah, yeah without, you have to sort of make it up format. yourself. Yeah, right. it's kind yeah. of like cooking without without knowing what's in your refrigerator right well uh, and so but you you still write about cheese do you write for the wall street journal you write columns yeah or? so i have a column in the wall street journal called cheese wisely um <laughs> that you know every like two or three months there's a lot of competition to get in the pages of the journal i'm so blessed any any time that happens um and it's in the saturday section uh with lots of other great food and culture writing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I think um, we need to take a little bit of a break now um, for a commercial, but um, when we come back, we'll talk about cheese cheese, and awesome. all sorts of other things that have to do with cheese. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Show, 620 AM, Radio Rampa. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You could come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio hey everyone it's tom from the not a foodie show are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience the not a foodie radio show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets for a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. And we are back with the Not A Foodie show on Radio Rampa 620 AM. Tia Keenan is here with us. Tia's going to be here for the entire episode. Yes, but I'm going to keep saying Tia yeah. Keenan is here with us. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm very excited to so have an hour-long guest. Thank you. <laughs> so we've been talking about cheese 
uh, while <laughs> while you were listening to beautiful commercials on Radio Rafa. Um, and we were talking about the cheese plate. We're talking about the art of the cheese plate, which would make a great book. Oh, wait. It is. Oh, wait. It is a great book. Yes. So Tia is the author of The Art of a Cheese Plate. Um, Mike and I a while back did a video on composing like a charcuterie board. Uh, just a stupid short One little Instagram, Instagram video. video. It's not stupid. It's really good. No, it's a great video. It's just a silly little video. Um, but so we, you know, we we've, we've talked we've talked about the amazingness of the charcuterie board. How it's great for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I'm I whenever I'm traveling and and not in this country, and I get a little charcuterie board for breakfast, I'm loving it. That's what I have for lunch whenever I'm in Europe for every I, meal. I have it for breakfast when I'm in Europe, and then lunch for like a little snack with some vegetables and dinner. I mean, I'll have it before dinner. Usually, or a late night dinner. I think it's a perfect late night snack. So let's talk about cheese boards. Mm. <laughs> Why do you think that we don't um, have as many cheese boards in this country, like as meals? Oh, that's such a. Is it the quality of the cheese? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, we just don't have the tradition, the cheese, the cultural tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe how people eat is so tied to the regional foodways and cheese is a part of those regional foodways. And so breakfast, lunch, and dinner includes those foods. Uh, And we don't really have that tradition. Our tradition is mostly an industrial tradition. So I think we actually have a lot of cooking cheese in um, in our food culture. Uh, we put a lot of cheese in food. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the quality of our cheese and the way that our cheese has historically been produced really encourages that it goes into cooked food. We we were talking about before you came, uh, Parmesan cheese. Yeah. Not not Parmigiano Reggiano. Not Parmigiano yeah. Reggiano. Definitely not. not shaker box. Not you chicken know, a little parm. Shaker. Yeah. Parmesan cheese and what? Yeah. And nobody knows what it really is. Well, you some might. of it, some of it is wood shavings, yeah, actually. Yeah, sawdust. <laughs> um, but it's really unfortunate that America, you know, in, in Europe, the names of cheeses are protected, and everyone in Europe, no matter what country they're in, agrees to respect the naming traditions of local cheeses. Um, so you would never see a French producer or anyone outside of the region for Parmigiano Reggiano making a cheese called. Parmigiano or Parmigiano Reggiano, but unfortunately, American, um, American. It was mass produced corporate. It was right. Kraft so or Kraft like is that. not yeah. respecting when they call yeah. their cheese Parmesan. It's like when Corbel calls yeah, their stuff champagne. They're not respecting exactly. Um, yeah. So we have a long tradition of large food producers not respecting the traditions of craft food makers. Right. So craft of the sea, not with a K. craft of the sea, not with a K. <laughs> so if you're gonna host a party, yeah, of pe- regular people, not not industry people, <laughs> yeah, not uh, just, cheese enthusiasts, just people. What are you, what's gonna be on your cheese plate? Okay, so the first thing that I'm gonna figure out is how many people are coming. Ten people. Ten people. Um, so for ten people, you'd figure that. You could have like five cheeses. Oh wow! Three to five mm-hmm. would well, be. I mean, I, I'd go for I that. I guess three. I do three when it's just 
my wife and I and my two kids because my kids are yeah. she's I mean I think and... if it's less than three that's very like for an intimate situation where yeah. it's just one or two people mm-hmm. and it's a, you want you want a little bit of vari- yeah. variety yeah. with your cheese plate I had two cheeses for an appetizer for me and my girlfriend last night so yeah. yeah so you know so I think three to five so I'd say okay ten people coming I'm gonna get three to five cheeses I'm probably gonna do an ounce assume that I need about an ounce to an ounce and a half for each person. If I'm going to serve, if that's going to be like before dinner, then then it's probably an ounce to an ounce and a half per person. If cheese is the main event, it's, you know, two to two and a half ounces. And, you know, I'd assess which of my friends like to really eat and, you know, how much people are going to be eating. So you want to figure out how much cheese you need, how many cheeses you want. Then I would assess the the cheese experience level of the people coming. <laughs> um, are these people who are into cheese? Do they eat out a lot? Do they eat at places that have cheese boards? Do they love their farmer's markets? Are they? Do they come from places where cheese is accessible? Are they pepper jack eaters? Or are they, you know, more um, American artisan cheese eaters? I don't know. So I, I think assess that, that's, that. That's one of the best things about the cheese plate is that you can cater that cheese board to yeah. to anything you can it, the farmers market cheeses or very yeah. local cheeses or you can go on these these crazy journeys with you know really stinky cheeses Over that make top. your yeah which, yeah, which but I'm, I love. I'm also assessing who's coming because i don't think that you should be making it you, you should i think sometimes people want to make a cheese board to like show something about themselves to flex, or, to flex. on exactly. instagram especially exactly but like to me the first thing that you you should always make a cheese board first and foremost so that people eat it and like they think it's delicious and they have a good time and there's none left at the end of the night yes so if your crowd is a gouda pepper jack crowd I wouldn't go like crazy stinky or $35 a pound cheese. I would pull it back a little bit and, you know, maybe do instead of like a supermarket Gouda going to a cheese shop and getting like a more artisanal Gouda or an aged Gouda, like expanding upon your guest expectations so that they have something that maybe feels familiar to them, but you're also at the same time like giving them a cheese experience that they're going to be like, wow, that cheese was really amazing last night. So, you know, I think it's really important to, like, think about your audience, and um, and that is a big part of how we assess our experience of eating, is, like, how we felt when, when we were eating that food. Right. So, three to five cheeses, figure out how much you need, head to the cheese shop. It's always great to go with, like, one, if you're going to do five cheeses, you have an opportunity to go... Full range. So I would do like one fresh cheese. So do like a pasta filata cheese, like a, you know, like maybe bocconcini or something like mm-hmm. that. You could even marinate oh, them yourself. You're saying that mozzarella type <laughs> cheeses are, mozzarella is cheese? Mike Mike has told me that mozzarella is not cheese. It does not it was, belong Mike? to the cheese family. Like mozzarella. Well, it's <laughs> a type of cheese called pasta filata, and that means that it's a stretched curd cheese. So it means that after the curd has been separated from the whey and drained out. Then they heat the curd and they stretch it. Have you ever made mozzarella? No. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. You yeah. should do it. I it mean, I I, well, I don't know if it's fun to do it like with you, single guy living in Harlem. It's fun to do it with like my kids, and yeah. you know, it's it's a fun little you know. And then how do you make burrata? Burrata is 
you basically make a mozzarella and then you inject it with cream and curds, creamy curds. Cool. Yeah. No. So where did you where did you find where did you think that mozzarella wasn't the cheese? How did you? I, dude, I don't know. I were just, you talking? Maybe impression. you were thinking about you know Parmesan much, cheese. Like, no, I've, I've been <laughs> working with cheese for a long time. I was just under the impression that it wasn't like technically cheese. No, I mean it's it's a fresh curd cheese. Like I mean I like most goat cheese like that you see in the store is is sort of it's just not stretched like that, but it's a fresh curd cheese, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean you you could I don't think that you could actually like process goat cheese that way, but yeah. So you would start with one cheese that's like a simple cheese, like mm -hmm. a, a chev mm -hmm. or or you know some kind of cute mozzarella type thing or some kind of fresh curd cow's milk cheese. Right. Um and then you would want to go to something with a little bit more age, something with the bloomy rind, something, you know, kind of still mild and creamy and gentle, but like with a little bit more intensity because it's got a rind or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then you want to think about um, progression of flavor on a cheese plate, but you also want to think about progression of texture, right? So you don't want to offer like all soft cheeses or all hard cheeses. You want to have different textures, different intensity of flavor. You'd want to have different types of milk. So you'd want to make sure that you have, again, if you're working with five cheese choices, you have a lot of wiggle room. So you'd want to do like a goat's milk cheese, a cow's milk cheese, a sheep's milk cheese. And you would progress as such. So then maybe a hard cheese, like an alpine cheese would be nice or a gouda would be nice. And then maybe a stinky cheese, a wash rind cheese. And then, you know, blue. ending with a blue if yeah. you want. And that's the place to sort of end. Yeah, I think that's, so we, when we get cheese in my family, that's sort of the, the progression that we take. So we will usually, usually we don't do um, like the first type of cheese, like the mozzarella type of cheese. We'll usually we'll do like a triple cream brie or something. Mm -hmm. The kids love that. I mean, they eat that like butter because it tastes like butter. You know, it's, it's delicious. And then we move on to something usually that's a little, a hard cheese that's a little bit sharper. Um, just because Manchego is everywhere, my son knows about Manchego and he wants Manchego, so we get Manchego. Um, but you know, we we also experiment with other you know Italian cheeses that are like that. Usually, we go Italian for that, and then we get a um, a really stinky running cheese like mm -hmm. a Pont Levesque or something like that. That's really good, and then we go with like the blue, yeah, the sharp, the sort of like the nose hair curling sharp. Do your kids eat that? Um, my son will will experiment it. with it, yeah, and he'll he'll have it every single time. My daughter, not so much. My daughter sort sort of stops there, but <laughs> like, but that's it. They'll eat everything else, but when they get to that point, they'll try it every single time. They'll try it, just like my daughter hates oysters, but every single time she'll try. Oh, an that's oyster. great! Like yeah. she'll sip the brine and mm -hmm. you know and think it's great until she and actually think, gets the texture. And when you're thinking about portion and like how much to buy of each cheese, you can also consider like, okay, you know, I'm going to get a blue cheese, but like people probably aren't going to eat as much of that yeah. as the brie. So maybe you like up the amount of brie that you buy and you like pull a little, pull back on the blue a little bit. Because really, truly, the goal at the end of any party, you do not want to have cheese Minimal left over. Because it, well, it's not just clean up, <laughs> it just... You know, it's been ha it's been out all day or all evening. People have been hacking at it. Like, you know, you're gonna wrap up that nub, and yeah. So you want to have an, a a successful cheese board is one that at the end of the evening there's nothing on it. What yeah. about um, accoutrement? Crackers yeah. versus bread, fresh fruit, preserves, dried fruit. All of fruit. it. All of it. Um, you know, I definitely uh, am someone who's really pushed the 
boundaries on condiments. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We have to dig into that a little bit. Like, well, what kind when of I first started working in cheese in restaurants, you know, even at the modern, like we served the pastry chef, who's a very talented pastry chef named Marco Mont, who who is at Gabriel Crater now and has that wonderful chocolate shop next to Gabriel Crater. Um, you know, he would make like a seasonal um, jam or something, and they were always wonderful. Um, but we would just serve one thing. Um, and if you went to any restaurant, you would get some grapes, maybe. You would get some dried fruit. You would get some nuts. You would get Marcona a jam almonds. or Marcona almonds or some honey mm-hmm. or something. And that was about it. So when I opened Casalula, the whole concept was I'm going to have 50 cheeses on the menu, and each cheese is going to come with a unique condiment. And what I realized at that time was cheese was really intimidating to people, and I could use condiments to one sort of strip away the like almost like the class discomfort that people had about cheese, but also that I could um, play with the flavors of cheese, that I could inject humor and whimsy and curiosity and all these things onto the cheese plate to to sort of mainstream the cheese plate in a way. So I really love using condiments, not just for the pairings, but of course they should be about the pairings, but also just to like ease up on like the intimidation like we we started this show where you asked me you know why don't we have that cheese culture and like a big part of it is you know the main reason is that we don't have the history of that culture but also like we Americans look at Europe and we feel like intimidated by their food culture we feel that we're not good enough for it we're not knowledgeable enough almost that we don't deserve it we're sort of this like poor poor relation doesn't know how well, to yeah. eat <laughs> and if you're not an expert on it then uh, then you're you're not worthy of it like that's yeah. i feel like it's it's that, the same well, thing with wine that's it's, like the point of our show though yeah is I, that we we are able to kind of take those crazy ideas and like explain them and make them a lot more palatable yeah no and i think that uh, people when i talk to people about you know wine for example like uh, like i love going out my wife loves this more than i do is going out and finding like a case of wine that you're paying seven or eight dollars a bottle for that's like the best wine that you're you yeah. know for the, at that price point and like you don't have to have this really fancy wine all the time like you mm-hmm. you find what you like and i think that's the same thing with cheese like i remember being completely intimidated by cheese i i didn't know anything about cheese i mean i didn't grow up eating this stuff i, yeah, I remember having brie <laughs> for the first time and i was like oh yeah. what what is this this is cheese and and it was delicious, and I love it. And it was supermarket brie, you yeah. know, like. But, um, but now I know what I like, and I know that I don't have to go and pay the, you know, twenty dollars a pound cheese. I can, you know, find cheese that I like that is, you know, attainable and yeah. you know and delicious. So, anyway. Yeah. So I think you know I think condiments are a really good way to sort of chill everyone out. You know. Um, what are some of the more creative condiments that you've? I mean, something that I always love with cheese is popcorn. I love it because it's such, like, an American thing. Um, You can make it buttery. You can give it different seasonings. You can make it herby, which is really nice with a lot of sort of grassy, lighter-style cheeses. I love the texture. I love that it gives you, you know, it's crunchy, but it's kind of, like, luscious, too. Um, so I always love popcorn with cheese. I worked at a place and we garnished our Negroni with three pieces of popcorn. Yeah. Uh, and a little, uh, cone on the side. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, I, I jams, honeys, all of that. Um, I love pickles, but not not just doing, um, you know, cucumber pickles, but different like pickled vegetables. I love roasted vegetables with cheese. I have done every marshmallow you mm-hmm. could ever imagine yep. with cheese. That's cheese. a Casalula thing. Yes. I did not. Yeah. Uh, like I didn't know uh-huh. that. Wow. That was... I I know a lot, Tom. No, I know you. You know, it's so funny because people really made fun of me when I did that in the beginning. Um, And it's just funny for me to see now when I go to places and I see other people doing it. And I think, wow. And in 2007, when I was like cranking out marshmallows. Wow. Did you guys? Did you make homemade, homemade marshmallows? Yeah, of course. And, yeah. Everything. I mean, yeah, it's everything. not Stay Puffed or whatever. But. Yeah, we did all kinds of flavors. Beet was a. I would do a beet marshmallow with a goat with goat cheese. That was really nice. Wow, that's great. Um, was it with beet juice or is it with actual pieces? We would of beet? use powder. Oh, okay. Because you can buy beet powder, and actually, uh, beet marshmallows are in in. There's a recipe for beet marshmallows in our the cheese plate. Um, nice. That's great. Wow, that's uh, so. I think Mike and I were when we were talking about you know our charcuterie board. We always we, we wanted some fruit. We, we were we were boring. We were just pedestrian with what we wanted there. <laughs> I think I'm gonna was, have to. But I don't think good. it was a like, one minute long video. It I was. don't think that there's this intimidation with meat in this country that there is with cheese. Like I think people feel much more comfortable like putting together charcuterie. We certainly have like a cold cut culture. We do. Um, yeah. and I think. Cheese really needs to have the the to to have a forced lack of pretense that I think like charcuterie doesn't. Yeah, I I mean, well, Mike knows like I, when I make um I cure guanciale at home, and I just call it face bacon. When people ask yeah. me what it is, it's face bacon. It's yeah. it's a pig's face that's made into yeah. You know, I mean, and we bacon. do also have this like barbecue culture, and I think part of why we can like get with charcuterie is because. It's related somehow, like the the barbecue culture of this country has made like charcuterie a much more, um, it's almost analogous. There, there's ways that there's yeah. a Venn diagram there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, and and with with cheese, there's it, there's a there's more science to it. There's not really, but it's perceived. I think that there's more stuff going on there that we just don't know. Anyway, I can talk forever about this, but we do have to take a break. Um, you're going to be back. Oh, after the entire the, episode. The entire episode. Is this episode. a big deal? Yes. About cheese. Do we you don't usually, usually not have? We usually no, we have 20 people, minutes. like 20, really? 20, 20 25 minutes. minutes yeah. yeah. So, but, but you know, you're special. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that means so much to me. So we'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. Hey 
Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You could come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. And we're back with the Not A Foodie Show at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Tom. Mike. And we have Tia Keenan with us. All episode. All episode long. All cheese. The cheese All the episode. cheese lady? Is that what what do you what do they call you? Well, my my social media handle is usually Keza Kaiserina, which is, means the queen of cheese in German. Ah. <laughs> Spell that if people want to follow it's you. You want K-A-S-E, people to follow you? K-A-S-E-K-A-I-S-E-R-I-N-A. Cool. Well, but I'm easy to find on social media because I'm all over it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about the cheese plate. We've been talking about your sort of journey to becoming the queen of cheese. Mm. Um, but recently you went on a trip, right? You went to the UK? Yeah, I went to the UK. And um, it, it, it was it was a cheese trip. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I went as the guest of this um, tour company called Cheese Journeys, which does... Um, cheese-focused travel experiences. Cheese tourism. Yeah, cheese tourism. And so they offer a bunch of trips uh, throughout the year. They go to France, they go to Italy, they go to, they're in the Netherlands right now. Um, But they have this- Wisconsin? They're not doing Wisconsin? They do do some domestic trips. I know they do a Vermont trip, and I think they do like a Pennsylvania um, trip. But I went on their UK trip, which is called the Cheddar Odyssey. And um, we did a little bit of time in London exploring Neil's Yard Dairy and Borough Market. Um, if you're into artisan cheese in the UK, Neil's Yard Dairy is uh, really one of the center points of that community. And is that that's all cheddar? No, Neil's Yard Dairy uh, is cheeses from the UK, mm-hmm. um, from England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Um, and they were really, uh, I don't want to say the world word seminal, um, (laughs) but they were, too late. you already did. They were, (laughs) they, uh, have really been at the center of reviving traditional artisan cheese making in the UK, which had shifted over to sort of industrial cheese making after it was rebuilt after the war after World War II. Oh, okay. So they, but they originally were a dairy that was making, you know, sort of. No, I don't know where why they had that name. Um, I should know that, but they they basically now they have a retail store. They sort of incubate projects and they distribute and they export. And if it has anything to do with UK artisan cheeses, it's often at some point passing through the hands and the soul of Neil's Yard Dairy. Oh, wow. wow. So we great. went there in London, and then we went to Somerset, 
uh, where we hung out with some um, Montgomery's cheddar and Westcomb cheddar, which are two very um, respected and well-known cheddars, Montgomery's being sort of the considered one of the best cheddars in the UK, certainly, um, and the birthplace of cheddar. Uh, and so we... I had no idea. So I, what, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, so cheddar... Okay, yeah, cheddar, what makes cheddar cheese okay. cheddar cheese? Because I... Okay. It's not like we're talking about wine where it's like the Cabernet grapes make Cabernet. Okay, so cheddar is... Uh, the ancestral homeland of cheddar is England. Okay. okay. So um, at one point... The people in England made all different kinds of cheeses. In the south, um, where I was, they weren't making cheddars, but there were other people making cheeses that some of them were similar to cheddar, some less similar to cheddar. Um, cheeses like Cheshire. Um, these are also sort of ancient cheeses. And cheddar um, was really... a um, kind of a meaty cheese in a way. Cheddar is very much a cheese for a, an empty belly. Um, <laughs> it's a, a hearty cheese, a cheese meant that, yeah. to sustain mm -hmm. rural people. I mean, the history of cheese is that we human beings figured out that that fluid milk, that fresh milk, spoils very quickly. And so how could they turn that into a product that um, had a shelf life and that was nutrient dense. Um, and cheese happens to be a perfect um, example of the problem solving skills of, of humans. Um, <laughs> and also the sort of the will to live, the will to live through winter, the will to live through migration. Um, I would say cheese gives me the will to live. Yeah, period. I think a lot of people <laughs> feel that way. End of sentence. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what makes cheddar? Well, cheddar, um, first of all, I want to say that I am. there are people who are more qualified to speak specifically of cheddar. I am not in... Yeah, not in this room. <laughs> not in this room, but I'm not a... I mean, there are people who have dedicated, you know, their entire scholarly work to cheddar and their careers to cheddar. I love that. That's and amazing. I love them. it. But um, so cheddar's from England. It's made from cow's milk, um, different... Different um, regions and different farmers use different kinds of cows. Um, and do, and is that part of? Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. is that is that part of um, the difference in taste and texture? Is it different types of cows? Yeah, it's it's or is it terroir? It's, like yeah, it's, it's all of that. It's so okay. um, you know, some cow the composition of different breeds of cows, the composition of the milk is different slightly. Mm -hmm. um, so the amount of fat. So, for instance, like in the United States, um, you know, we have a lot of Jerseys. Jerseys make really high fat. Jersey cows, yeah. for those of you who don't know. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I meant Jersey girls. They really make that thick milk. Um, <laughs> That's a different episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So there's different breeds of cows, different breeds of cows the milk composition is different. They metabolize things differently. There are different sizes. They produce more milk, less milk, um, all of that. So, yeah. So, cheddar. So, the big difference in cheddar. Do you want me to give, like, a one-minute explanation of, like, the basics of, like, how cheese is made? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. So, you take the milk. You coagulate the milk. 
you use a starter culture, you use rennet to coagulate the milk. That separates the water from the fat and the protein. Right. Okay. It's, it's curdling the milk, right? If, if, right? Like if you were to take milk and add lemon juice to it, you know, that right. is sort of similar to what exactly. you're talking about. Yeah. So you have the curds and you have the whey. The whey mm-hmm. is basically the, the water. Of course, some of the, the protein and the fat is washing away with that water, but pretty much you're separating the water from the protein and the fat. Mm-hmm. Then you have the curds. You, at some point, you're adding salt. You're continuing to press the whey out. You're getting the liquid out of the curds. You're sometimes cooking those curds. Like, for instance, with a Gouda, with that any cheese where you're going to have that caramely flavor, that's because the curds are being cooked. The sugars in the curds are caramelizing, and you're getting that flavor. So you're cooking the curds. You're putting them into some kind of mold, and then you're aging it. That's like the very basic reductive way to like understand how cheese is made. Great. I'm now okay. I am a cheese expert. Yeah. Now I know as much as you. Okay. I'm gonna go make So cheese. the thing that was interesting to me about this trip with cheese journeys was I've seen probably at this point in my life a hundred cheese makes. So I've seen cheese being made all over the world. I've made cheese myself, but I had never actually seen cheddar being made. And the the process that's unique with cheddar is this processing this process called cheddaring. <laughs> How novel. And so from what I saw, the cheddaring is that you press the curds and layer the curds and you basically create this like slab of layers of curds. Okay. okay so so like if you're like in a mold, right? At this you're point, not in a mold. You're not in a mold. No. Okay. So you, you're just. The curds have set. Uh-huh. Okay. The water's drained out. The curds have set. They've cut the curds into blocks mm-hmm. and then they've like pressed those curds down and layered them on top of each other. Okay. So it's almost like cheese shale. Is shale yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm picturing like the earth's like core yeah. when you look when you look right. at it, layers of now everything. this is the press I'm of picturing an So you have these like layers of curd on top of each other that are being pressed into each other. And then you take those and you put them through Nowadays, they're putting it through, like, a machine that plugs into the wall. But at some point, like, people were doing this by hand. You, and then you cut that shale of cheese into curds. And then you press it into the mold. Okay. Now, it gets pressed into a mold with muslin, traditional cheddar. So it's got fabric on the outside. Oh, yep. Um, and then you press that cheese in. Oh, I'm sorry. After you cut the shale, you salt it. You heavily, heavily salt it. Then you press it into the mold, which is lined with a cloth, with a muslin cloth. You press that. That sometimes takes a couple days. And then you wash that whole cheese onto the fabric with lard. Oh, Oh, wow. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. And then you start the aging process. And how long? Is this cheese not considered vegetarian at that point? Most cheese is not considered vegetarian as it's made with animal rennet. And rennet is the the lining. Rennet comes from the lining of the stomach of a calf. Wow. Some cheeses are made with vegetarian rennet, and that often comes from thistle. Um, but most cheeses are made with an animal rennet. I have a feeling you're ruining a lot of, like, non-knowledgeable vegetarian. <laughs> well, it's not vegan, right but well, I think some people would vegan, still yeah. consider yeah. it vegetarian. Right. So is there um is there an aging requirement for cheddar that it has to be aged a certain amount of time? I'm not sure. I'm sure there is, but I know 
that there's definitely not the regulation that there would be in, like, Italy or France. I mean, Italy and France, and France specifically, um, but Italy as well, like, they really regulate everything because they realized very early on, and France, like, 150 years ago, so revolutionary, realized that their agricultural products were worth protecting, were worth preserving, were worth protecting, not just because of what they added to the culture, but because of what they meant to the economy and to the people of the and to the people's relationship to the land. Um, and so you find that those they they very heavily regulate every aspect of the process of making those agricultural products. Um, what's um what's the difference in taste when you go from a younger cheddar to an older cheddar? It depends. Um, you know, some not every cheese is meant to age forever. Mm -hmm. um, so it depends on what the cheesemaker is looking for. Um, in general, with aged cheeses, you get a, a more intensity of flavor, less moisture, obviously, because as you age anything, any food, whether it's sausage or cheese, aging it is is literally like allowing the the. Um, moisture in the product yeah. to evaporate into the air. Yeah, I mean, it's a difference between, like, when you're aging, like, a wine or a bourbon or, you yeah. know, a spirit or something like that, it, it gets mellower. When you're aging, you know, meats and cheeses, it, it's more it intensifies. It gets more intense. But yeah. sometimes, you know, it also can uh, impact the texture. So, like, with a washed rind cheese. Um, What's a washed rind cheese? So that's a cheese washed in a liquid. It's usually brine. Sometimes it's wine. Sometimes it's beer. It's like a drunken goat, like that type of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, those cheeses aren't meant to age for a long time like cheddars or goudas or whatever, but they, as they age, they often will sort of break down. So like a really gooey cheese, part of the reason that it's like liquid on the inside is because of the way that it was aged. Gotcha. gotcha. So you brought us a present. I did. I brought you some um, smoked Cheddar from Westcombe Dairy. And oh. Westcombe Dairy was one of the dairies we visited with Cheese Journeys. And it was super interesting because they were an artisan cheese dairy that after making artisan cheddar, but after World War II, people forget how devastated Britain was. And they really had to rebuild their economy. And people were starving. <laughs> so the government really encouraged all farmers to go into sort of commodity production. And so Westcombe did after the war and made sort of commodity cheddar and then in the early 90s decided that they wanted to go back to their artisan roots and and scrap their giant um, commodity cheddar uh, operation to start making traditional cloth bound cheddar well this is uh, if anyone puts you their nose up to the microphone puts their nose up to the speaker <laughs> they could smell this cheese it's and it does it's not the cheese smell you smell the smoke like yeah. it is, um, this is a smoked cheddar, and so, mm, this is aged. I just want to say, oh we're gonna we're gonna eat while we talk, so excuse us. I just want to say that something we didn't mention when we talked about making cheese plates is please, please serve your cheese room temperature. It tastes like smoke, in the best way. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little over the top, I think, but wow, it's but this is the right temperature to eat cheese. Yeah, you have to please take your cheese out of the refrigerator at least a half an hour before you serve it. You're really not getting to taste what the cheese is meant to taste like if you're eating it cold. Yeah, I think that that's one of the my proud dad moments is that my kids know, you know, take the cheese out so that we can eat it before yeah. we go to bed. They have it, you know, they they go backwards uh, with the timing to make sure yeah. that they have enough time to eat their cheese. But this, so this is a this is a cheddar. It's a smoked cheddar. Mm -hmm. It's 
Um, so when you when you cut it, uh, you know, I'm looking at it. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot um, grainier, but it's really creamy yeah. for for cheddar, and it's Probably very smoky. Um, it's delicious. So how how old is this? Do you know? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm going to guess that it's about like six to nine months would be my guess. Wow. Um, and I just want to show you something here, which is you see the blue coming in from the rind? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it looks like, yeah, I mean, on that's just because you're you're you have a cheese that, you know, air has come in and there's ambient stuff in the air. And some people would consider that a flaw. But I think for a lot of traditional cheesemakers, like that's part of the beauty of the character of the cheese. It's just it's a just a little mold that yeah has it's come just in you know cheese is in a cave. There's all sorts of good bacteria hanging out in the cave. Yeah, it found its way in through the rind of the cheese and. Well, Mike, Mike, and I have talked. Mike knows that I'm a big fermenter. Um, yeah, we did a whole thing on it. Fermenting anything from you know hot sauces and vegetables to meats to you know to everything mm -hmm. and you know there's I think that's one of the things that um, in especially in this country that people are. Um, they're just afraid of because they're uneducated about, you know, like the, how different different things in the air, different molds in the air that um, that attach themselves, lend different flavors, and do different things for. Like there are absolutely some good bacteria that are oh, just floating yeah. around. Well, like, bacteria there. is With good. Beer yeah. and wine in ancient times, they didn't understand science at a molecular level. Yeah, but like we had these grapes, and then the gods turned it into wine, and that like <laughs> they didn't understand fermentation. Yeah. Or like, I mean, um, well, they understood fermentation. They, they didn't understand, understand it on a on a molecular yeah. level, yes. but I yeah. mean, they they really yeah. understood fermentation. Yeah, I mean, and it, or like the the German beer purity laws, the Reinheitsgebot. It or the original one didn't include yeast in it. Uh, it, was it was only just, water, hops, and barley or grain. It's to because, make beer. yeah, because, because they didn't under they didn't know what yeast was. Well, because they and they got whatever from the air, whatever mm -hmm. bacteria they needed. They from were the like, air oh, to, to by the, the way, just make sure you do it in like a four hundred year old wooden barrel. Yes, yes. <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> that seems that, to work. That's yeah. the only way it works. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I it's I, I I think this cheese is delicious, and I mean I when people eat um, when people eat like a blue cheese or something like that, I mean that's mold that they're eating right like yeah i mean we're first of all we're eating bacteria all the time um and i don't think it's that people are uneducated about bacteria in this country because there's a lot of education about bacteria it's just the it's just miss their the the, infer, the education that they get is really misguided yeah i mean yeah. i i was taught that right. you know bacteria is a bad thing right and, and that's not true like yeah. we know now that we need bacteria like our bodies are host to so much bacteria that keep us alive, that keep us healthy, right. that that keep us from getting cancer, that help us digest our food, that keep us feeling awake and alert. That that you know we need bacteria. Well, I, this is this is delicious. This cheese. What's so? What's the name of it again? So this is a Westcomb cheddar. Westcomb West is the producer, um, and this is smoked cheddar, and you won't you wouldn't be able to get it here. 
Oh, not that as makes burning. it even better. You can get, you can get West Comb cheddar in the United States, but, but you this. won't get the smoked one now. This I, um, is just something so that they had on the farm. And so I, I think that them. one of one of the things that... Um, I like it so much more. Yeah. When I, said. I, know, I know. I liked it before, but now that no one else can get it, it's yeah, so much better. It's that much better. I know. Isn't that funny how that works? Uh, I, we have... Um, this is probably the best cheese I've ever ate. <laughs> People make fun of me because I always had an illegal cheese guy. Like, I always yeah. had a, like, like a drug dealer. Well, this was definitely you know? a suitcase cheese. And, you know, when you enter a Customs and they're like, "Have you been on a farm? Nope. Nope. Have you have been Have you been close to farm animals? Oh, absolutely not. Have nope. Do you have agriculture in your bag? Nope. Not nope. me. <laughs> but I so it goes. I'm lie. just kidding, TSA. I was <laughs> joking. I'm kidding too. I don't actually cure my own meats in my you know <laughs> FDA. TSA is not even a real thing. It's security yeah. theater. Yeah. There's a whole thing behind it. <laughs> All right. Started. Well, we've got to we've got to take a break. On that note, now that the feds are going to bust in. And steal our illegal cheese. Um, so we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Not a foodie show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. At Not a foodie show on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Back in a minute. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You could come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio hey everyone it's tom from the not a foodie show are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience the not a foodie radio show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets for a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. It's for, time for our last segment of the day. It's Mike Moranti. I'm joined with Tom Miale and our entire episode guest, Tia Keenan, who has schooled us on cheese, and uh, I've learned a lot. She brought in delicious cheese. So, Tia, we end the show okay. with a seg- the same segment every week. Mm-hmm. It's called What Are You Drinking Tonight? Mm. Usually it's a cocktail. Mm-hmm. It's not allowed to be a Negroni anymore because every guest that, is a Negroni. So basic. <laughs> yep. And exactly. We love them. Tom did one like two weeks ago, and I'm still mad at him. No, but I did it because I wanted to ago. highlight the Amaro that I was using, which is a different kind of Amaro. So I was allowed to use, do it. No. Yes. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. It's my um, show, too. So it's end of the day. Mm. You said a long work day. Mm-hmm. Re- you recorded an entire episode today. It's a long yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm exhausted. What are you going to wind down with? So I will say first that um, alcohol is a big part of my family. It's my husband is a sommelier, um, and we have a house filled with alcohol, and one could even argue that alcohol built our home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in fact, am not a big drinker. It doesn't have to be alcohol. So it's okay. I, I, but I do enjoy a tipple sometimes. Mm-hmm. I really like vermouth. Just um, wait for like Dolan Blanc. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Give it to me. 
during the if we're having a party and people are heavy drinking, it sometimes occasionally occurs at my home, and I want to have a drink and be social. It's often Dolan Blanc and soda with a twist. Mm. That's my thing. Nice. But I'll also take a tipple at night. You know, just a little, little something. I I feel sort of um. It makes me feel sort of like. Downtony in a way, you know, like I'm a lady. I, I'm at my, I have a little delicate glass on my bedside. It's kind of like my version of a sip of sherry. I love you it. You know, it's very dry. After I graduated college, I interned at Cork Buzz. Oh, yeah. And um, when I was interning there, they're like, oh, try this. And it was just Dolan yeah. on the rocks with a twist. Yeah. No soda. And I was like, oh, my God. That's this my is... thing. I mean, I, I really like vermouth, so... I'm going to go with that. But, like, the glass needs to be really nice. This is an important part of the experience for me. Like, a little a little cordial glass. I hear you. Yeah, I'm into it. That was that was one of the things that um, I put my little sticky note on when my parents' house. Like, when they die, I get these cordial glasses. These uh-huh. are Did nice. it say that? Like, when you die? When you die, these are mine. Love you. <laughs> yes. It's just up there Happy birthday, day. Dad. <laughs> um, all right. So, I am having... I... As... As this episode airs, I am not in New York. We recorded this episode earlier. I am in Florida right now on vacation with my family. Um, so because of that, I'm having a gimlet. Um, mm. Just citrusy, you know, lime and gin. And uh, What gin? Um, usually for a gimlet. Like, no, no, no. That's my, that's my like, mm-hmm. down and dirty martini gin. Like, I go, I go low class beef. I mean, I, you can go lower class. But I go beef eater when I'm having a martini. It's just what I grew up with. I like that little sting like of it. Um, but for a gimlet, I'll go a little bit more aromatic. Kendrick? Um, not that aromatic. Sometimes I'll do like a New Amsterdam has a uh-huh. really good, um, their gym, gin is like a nice little citrus n- note to it. And it goes well with, uh, with the lime for a gimlet. So that's what I'm having is a gimlet. Nice. My question is on a family vacation, Tom. How many of those are you having a day? Not enough. I mean, <laughs> I have an intravenous. <laughs> no, I mean, the gimlet is at night. During the day, I'll, uh, there, there are other substances that keep me going. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to do, because I'm going to have a cheese plate for dinner now. That's just That's it. it. It's decided. Uh, Wolfer Rosé mm. Cider. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I haven't had it yet. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen the rosé cider. I had it for the first time on my birthday a couple of years ago at Roberta's, and I was like, oh, that's cool. But now they sell them at like 7-Eleven. It's a cider. It's a so rosé. apple. A, yeah, but it's rosé. So they keep the skin. It's like skin I don't contacts. know how they make it. Mm. I don't even know if it's out. It might be something else. I don't know. But it's it's a little acidic. It's really, really nice. Does it come in a bottle? Yeah, it it's mm. comes in a four-pack. Wow. Oh, hmm. like in a... Like a like a like a beer bottle, like size. a Bartles yeah. and James one. So you're drinking wine coolers, is what you're saying? I'm drinking cider. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, but thank it's you. Crisp and acidic and has <laughs> effervescence. And I, it's local. And it's local. Uh-huh. Yes. All right. Well, we're we're running out of time, so I am going to uh, start saying goodbye. I'm hitting it. It's hit it. It's hit. <laughs> Tia, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having Tia me. Tia Keenan is awesome. Go follow her on social media. I'm not even going to try it. What is what is it? Spell it. Keza Kaiserina. On Twitter, I talk a lot about politics and a little about dairy. On Instagram as well, you're, we'll see most of my cheese adventures. Yes. We'll so, link to it on the blog post. Yes. At Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. And we will see you next week. Or you can hear us next week, I guess. Bye.
Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G-Train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com.